The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Messia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. I'm talking today with Kristen Weil, the founder of the Charlotte food and drink digital publication, Unpretentious Palette. It's a subscription-based publication that reviews restaurants and covers Charlotte's dining and drinking scene. And its slogan is to celebrate the good and be honest about everything else. Kristen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Well, I'm excited to talk with you. Happy to have you on the podcast because I think some of the trends in the local restaurant industry are really interesting. I want to explore those a little bit with you. And, you know, a lot of people consider themselves to be foodies. A lot of people like restaurants, going out to eat. A lot of people like going to breweries. You know, people share their photos on Instagram. There are a lot of influencers that are, you know, posting things all over the place on TikTok and so on. And, you know, there are a lot more ways nowadays for restaurants to market themselves. But I think you come at the local food scene a little bit differently. You know, you spent some time at the Washington Post. You were an editor for several years at Charlotte Magazine. And Unpretentious Palette is different in that it's a subscription publication that bills itself as telling it like it is. And incidentally, I admire what you're doing because it's a similar business model to what we're doing with the Charlotte Ledger, which is to say we're directly serving our readers who are our subscribers. You know, they're our, they're our customers. So you know, and also as we're recording this, we're heading into the holiday season. That tends to be a busy time for restaurants. So also wanted to you know, mine any tips or recommendations that you might have. So maybe we could start off. Tell me what is Unpretentious Palette? Why did you start it? And why is it called Unpretentious Palette? It's a fun question to answer there. Unpretentious Palette, like you said, we're a digital publication. We're all online right now, but we cover food news the way that I think the city deserves. We do daily news coverage. So it's definitely a little bit more in-depth than you'll usually see elsewhere, like everything from executive chef changes to openings, closings, and then restaurant reviews tend to be our most popular resource that we do. Um, their restaurant reviews are super expensive, so very few people do them anymore. It's for us, our biggest cost is doing these restaurant reviews, going out to eat. And so we do all of those things and we do a newsletter twice a week. We keep our newsletter free and then all the content to link out to our, our website is uh, membership based. So we, yeah, same business model as y'all, just like a little different layout, I guess. But it's, it's important to us to do that because I feel like you, you mentioned my background comes from legacy media and I feel like the need for page views was just the downfall of, of a lot of print publications and big publications because you know, we're, we as humans don't always want to consume the best news. We want to just like see a crazy headline and be like, what happened? Like, you know, I don't know, Florida man does. I feel like those headlines, right, are just so popular when people are doing crazy things. And so when you're not If, if you were doing on, a publication that was going for clicks, would that be a lot different than what you're doing now? No different. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, for us, we don't, it doesn't matter how many people read our stories. What matters to us is that the people that do read them get a lot out of them. And so we're more looking for engagement. We're looking for being a solid resource for people. When the pandemic was going on, we did stories that were like really in detail on the changing ABC and ALE regulations and kind of like, cause the bars were really confused. They're like, we don't know, like we're getting different direction from everybody. And so that's not really like a sexy headline, right? Like ALE does this, people are, you know, but the people that did read it to them, that was really helpful because there was nobody in that gap being like, okay, like, here's what this actually means. Like, people can sit at the bar, but they have to be like this. Or So we tend to be like a resource for the industry as well as a resource for diners who are looking for something beyond 
like the shiny and new, which tends to be Charlotte. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of our, our big thing. As to why it's unpretentious palette, I feel like food writing is a really unique condescending type of writing sometimes. I feel like I'll read big, you know, national publications and, and I read their restaurant reviews and I'm like, I have to, like, I don't know what half of these words mean in this one sentence. And like, I've, I'm a trained writer. There's no reason you need to be so just pretentious in your writing. And, and it just drove me crazy every time I'd write, read these restaurant reviews. And so to me, food is a, everybody has an opinion on food and everybody's opinion on food is valid because everybody's taste is different. So it was kind of like one of those, like, rolling my eyes like we're unpretentious palette because like we're not gonna write in the way that you see so many people do these days where it's just like i'm reading this paragraph five times and i think i maybe get what you're saying <laughs> right that you're kind so, of writing for yourself and your friends and showing yes off your vocabulary and this exactly. is really you're more writing you're writing for the people you're writing we're not for trying yourself. to show off yeah we're not trying Got to show it. off the big words we just want to make sure everybody has it uh, knows what they're getting into when they go to a restaurant which is what anybody <laughs> wants to look for so so are your customers, are the people who read Unpretentious Palette, are they, are they diners? Are they people who like going out to dinner? Are they people in the restaurant industry? Who are they? Yeah, it's a mix. So we are a combination of the two. Our readers are mostly diners, but we also have a pretty big industry readership. So we have, I want to say it's like a 60% split with, with diners. And a lot of our readers are just looking for something that is more more in-depth, more expertise, more context to, to what you're, what to expect at a restaurant. I think, you know, Charlotte, I mentioned tends to be pretty like obsessed with the new. And so where we are kind of going to the people who are looking for the, the place they want to go to regularly, not just like chase the new. And so, yeah, we, we tend to, I think we're filling the gap, like where print food critics were and are no longer, we've kind of, we're trying to do that style of writing on just a digital platform. Yeah, it's interesting. And you mentioned restaurant reviews. And I just think back to the time like before social media when, you know, it was a restaurant review that could really make or break a restaurant. I'm probably dating myself, but I remember these episodes of like Reed's Company where like the Jack Tripper character, he was like a chef and like the, you know, the the reviewer would come in dressed in the coat and tie. And it was like a make or break situation for the for the yeah. restaurant. And it was actually like that for a number of years. It's not really like that anymore necessarily. So I mean, why... Why is it important to have, you know, independent restaurant reviews and what goes into a restaurant review? So we do our our method of reviewing. We do three visits. They're all paid for by us and we don't like say we're coming in. So we'll just kind of like sneak in with friends or whatever, pop in. And we don't do it until they've been open three months also, because I feel like the, the time of the soft opening is like dead for restaurants. Uh, as soon as like a media publication gets news that a place is soft opening it just becomes like a massive rush to the restaurant and i think that's a really unfair time to review them i think it's important for restaurants to have that like soft opening period and they can't have that anymore because it's, it's just everybody wants to be there first right and then a restaurant opens they're overwhelmed and there's no easing into service um so we wait we won't publish a review till three months we do do like opening thoughts that are just kind of like here's what to expect but they're not full reviews and i think it's important to do reviews because there are so many restaurants in Charlotte now. And a lot of what we see, you mentioned like social media, it's really curated media events that aren't necessarily reflective of the restaurant on a daily basis. So, you know, some of these media events like you go to and there's like food that's for photos only for Instagram and then like nobody can eat. It's just for pictures. And so it's just not, it's not real life. You know, it's just like all of social media. It's like, it's not quite what it seems. And so it's important for people that want to go out and they want to just they really care about 
the food and like supporting quality restaurants, supporting local to have somewhere they can go. And it's not just that surface level coverage. It's like, hey, here's what to expect here. And that fits with your priorities. I think there are some places like, you know, the service might not be great, but the food's really good. And if you're more of a food person, you don't care that much about service, then like you might want to go there. Somebody else might say like, I want great service and like that will save the food for me. So we try to just kind of give a really clear picture of the restaurant, their strengths, their weaknesses. And sometimes, you know, this place doesn't have to be perfect all around to be a good restaurant for somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think you are providing value and you're, you're sort of a little bit apart from kind of a, the hype machine that's out there. And, you know, I, I do like the restaurant finder that you have on, on Pretentious Palette and it just feels authentic. And I, I used it myself a few months ago, found a place just like five, 10 minutes from my house that I didn't even know existed. I'd never read about, never heard of it. It's called Aqua e Vino in Strawberry oh, yeah. Hill. Um, um, it's, I think it's Sardis and Providence or is it, is it Fairview and Providence anyway, right, right there in, in Strawberry Hill. And it was great. And that you wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever heard of it, known about it. There was, it's not like really, you know, part of you know, the yeah. buzz, you know, that you, that you read about. And so that's, I think a nice service that you have is just saying, Hey, look, these are good restaurants, regardless of whether they have a large Instagram following or yeah. a PR firm behind them or whatever. Do you hear a lot from readers about that? Yes. Yes. And one of the things that we we have our so each week we do a Q&A with readers and a lot of times just people looking for restaurant recommendations. And I think that's where we we do kind of stand apart is because, you know, between our staff, we've got a lot of years in Charlotte and there's it's we're not always suggesting like the same hypey spots. Sometimes those spots are what people need and sometimes they're not like Aqua Ivino. That's a perfect example. Chef Gabrielle, like he doesn't need to advertise. It's a very small restaurant. It's awesome. People who know to go there know to go there, right? So places like that, you know, we really find it important to continue giving them like the credit and and spotlight they deserve because a lot of times those kinds of restaurants get forgotten. Yeah. So you've been in Charlotte, I think a little over 10 years or so. How has the restaurant scene changed since you first got here? Dramatically. It's And some for the good, some for the bad. It's It's been a really fun time to cover food in Charlotte. When I first moved here and started covering food, you know, it was like Chris Coleman was still like a very young up and coming chef and Alyssa Weiland was still in the little farmer's market space and Atherton market. And it's cool now to see, you know, that that group of chefs has kind of become now the the more experienced, respected, like face of Charlotte restaurants. And now there's already a new group of, of younger chefs coming up. And it's cool to see how many locally owned restaurants there are now. I feel like farm to table and local sourcing has become the norm in Charlotte, which is so important. And it's one of the things, you know, people always complain about, like, what is Charlotte's cuisine? Charlotte doesn't have a signature food. And I, I think that's total BS. I think Charlotte's signature cuisine is locally sourced seasonal food because we've got great farmers in the area. There are Companies like Freshlist, they do a great job of making easy for restaurants to source locally. And the growing season is so long here. So I think that's been the coolest thing to see is just how that, like, you, it's almost an expectation now that you are sourcing locally when you can. And the downside, I feel like we're getting to a point now where those small independent restaurants are getting harder and harder between just like the cost of opening restaurants and then the spaces like Charlotte is Again, shiny object, we love to tear down and build massive. And the people that can afford those massive spaces tend to be, you know, the the folks that have been around a while and are now have a big enough portfolio where they can finance that or they're from out of town. So 
I think that's something we're going to struggle with is I like I, I'm worried about the future of that kind of middle tier independent restaurant. I feel like dining is coming to a point now where we're either going to have like high end luxurious dining or like farm to table that's just going to be a little out of reach for the average diner. And then like, you know, a TGI Fridays or like bigger chains and that that middle is going to become harder and harder to sustain. Yeah, I mean, what is your sense of how restaurants in Charlotte are are doing overall? Like, I'm always surprised, like when you go into a lot of these places on a Wednesday night, there's just still a bunch of people there in, in a lot of different kinds of places. And it just always strikes me like I'm just sort of blown away by how how many people are out eating and the the explosion and the number of restaurants that yeah. we had. But but I mean, you talk to a lot of restaurateurs, a lot of business owners. I mean, how I mean, I know COVID was obviously kind of a hard time for yeah. them. They did get, you know, a lot of them got some of that, you know, federal COVID support money and were able to hang on. But how are they doing overall? So it's interesting. This year's been an interesting one for restaurants. Like there was a great first half of the year. And for some reason, things kind of got slow over the summer. And I don't know. I think it might have been people were fearing for a recession and that's kind of been, and you would know more about this than, than I would, but like a long drawn out fear that has had people kind of tightening, but hasn't quite materialized. So I think people are kind of like false start of like, can we spend again? Can we spend again? And so I think, yeah, this, the second half of the year has been tough and nobody seems to know exactly why. So, and then there's still, you know, the pandemic's over, but a lot of restaurants are still like places that gave rent breaks. It wasn't like they gave a rent break. It was like a temporary rent break. So those have been getting tacked on post pandemic, like back rent. And so that's been, you know, costs are going up, labor is going up, like everything's getting more expensive. Real estate is crazy. And then you're kind of tacking on some of this back rent from the pandemic and it's becoming, it's a lot. So I think, I don't think we're still out of that pandemic fog yet, even though it's been a while. I think restaurants, like it's such a slim margin of profit already that when you're adding on these added costs and food costs are starting to come back down a little bit, but I don't know that it's enough to make up for everything else. How is Charlotte's dining scene different from that of other cities? I mean, is there stuff that we have here that's superior? Or are we missing parts? I mean, are there different kinds of restaurants that we don't have here? Do you have any kind of perspective on sort of how Charlotte is different from, you know, peer cities? Yeah, I think what we're the one thing that we're missing again is that like really small space, small independent restaurants. Like you look at a lot of cities, and I mean, I don't want to compare Charlotte, New York, because like everybody does. But when you look at New York, like there are a lot of affordable, kind of like rundown spaces that are in good areas that are like you know you can have a restaurant in, that's like twenty seats and and make a go of it, and that's just like those spaces don't exist here, at least not in like, like the city. Is this what, like, are you talking about like what we would call like kind of hole in the wall, like, like yes. that are good, like authentic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in a hole in the wall, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, a cheaper meal, right? Like just somewhere a chef can go in and make a reputation, make, make a name for themselves in a space that's affordable and then like start there and then grow into a bigger space. There's this, I think we're, we're starting, you know, and like the city kitchen where counter started, where um, restaurant Constance is like, that's a good example of like a great starting space. It's, it's affordable. It's a good area. Like people can get in there. It's basically like a, a ghost kitchen where, I mean, they could basically prepare food in a, in a large space yeah. or a food truck or something like that. Right. With traditionally, yeah. I think it's on the West side. Yeah. 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 And it's, and that's one, I think what, 
the owners of Hotel Refuge are doing on Central Avenue too. Like that's super cool. They've got that bar space and they've been doing bar residencies there. And that building's going to get torn down eventually. And hopefully they can find a way to keep doing this bar residency. But like Humbug got their start there. And so they kind of got to get their feet under them, kind of get service going, build up a following. So I think, yeah, that's that's the one thing. But I think we do, again, like our sourcing is fantastic. Like the, the local farmers in this area are awesome. And there's such a tight knit like farmer chef link that really cool things happen on menus. And so I think Charlotte does that better than most cities. Okay, so what's your advice to people on how to choose restaurants? Because like, I think like you've been saying, there's so many options. There's so much out there, I, I think, inundating us all the time, you know, on social yeah. media and you hear recommendations from people and there are all these new places. And how do you find restaurants? Like what, what's the best way to do that? Other than subscribing to Umptive Spell, of right, course. Right, right, right. Shameless plug. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think it, it's it's tough. I think I would say don't go just to what's new. Like, don't make what's new your priority for dining. Because I think it's this, you, you're setting yourself up for disappointment most of the time. I would say, you know, find find a restaurant that's been open, like, had the buzz and now is instead like kind of in their groove. Um, check out their menus, like see where they're getting their their food. And like if a menu's not all that seasonal, like if you're seeing like a caprese salad in February, like, you know. Yeah, the tomato not might not be exactly like locally grown. Is what right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to me, like when you get local ingredients, the food's going to taste better. Right. Like you're not getting something that's been trucked across the country or the world. So that would be my advice. And yeah, just, you know, you can tell too, like when you're looking, I would look at the restaurant's social media feed and like you can tell when food's been made with love. Like when somebody really cares about about something, you're not just gonna get like, you know, generic photos. Like you're gonna see the shit house, you're gonna see the people who've made the food. Um and you know, there find there like there are some good Instagram accounts out there. I would just find somebody that whose opinion like you you agree with, whose taste seems to run to your own. Because that's another thing about, you know, influencers and and all forms of media, like especially when it comes to food, at the end of the day, it's your palate, right? So it's like you're finding like a clothing influencer. Like you need to find somebody who shares your sense of style. I mean, I think the same thing is true with food influencers. Like you need to find somebody who has your shared style of dining like i you know you could find somebody who's like really into fried foods and that might be your thing and that's great or you could find somebody who's like really into salads and like it's just there's so many different ways to eat so i think making sure you find somebody who agrees with the way you like to eat is really important otherwise you're never going to agree with their recommendations do you have any instagram accounts that you like and follow yeah i i think ali papa john eat drink clt does a great job she's Fantastic. She now works with the um, Tony Daniel Brown restaurant group doing some of their PR and marketing, but she has been such a, she's such a fair voice and she supports local in a great way. And I think she does a great job on her account. And do you have any hidden gems? Any, are there, do you have any information stuff that's like, you don't want to put it out there because it's going to get too popular, like places that you go or any, any, you know, underrated restaurants, any, any tips on, on any places to go? It's funny. I feel like it's it is so true. Like you don't want to share them. Aqua Vino is for sure one. Like the the experience you get there is fantastic. I feel like there are places like Intermezzo is just like always going to be a favorite of ours. If you go and sit in there, just the it just feels so like 
family. It's like you're going to somebody's house, you know, and it's got that like European style of service where it's like kind of like you're the customer is not, not always right. And I, I really enjoy that. Like it's just like it's more like you're it's like an equal footing. So I love Intermezzo. The Degenerate in Noda, I feel like is really underrated. The chefs there do a great job. You know, the, I think the dining room needs a little work, but the food is just like for for bar food, I think it's like a foodies bar. They they do really good. Like they're one of the few places in Charlotte you can find handmade pierogies. And like I would go there and just eat three orders of the pierogies. They're fantastic. So that's another one. I'm trying to think of like underrated. Dot Dot Dot's food is one that I'm always like, why do people not come here for dinner more? They've got a really stellar team in the kitchen. And that's the one at Park Road Shopping Center, right? Yep. Yep. People go there for cocktails, but like the food is fantastic as well. So that's another one I think. Obviously, people know that they do great drinks. It's I got I just share a little story about that. That that I got. I don't yeah. want to say kicked out of there. I was not allowed in there because I was wearing sandals on a July mm-hmm. day, and you have to have closed-toed shoes. So I had to scrounge in the trunk and find some sneakers that were too small, and they they let me in. But I do like dot dot dot. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful space. You know, the soft space for flip flops, man. I know, I know. I need to, I need to, uh, I need to be- uh, improve my game a little bit on the footwear. I think um, I love it. You know, such a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I just wanted to ask you. So, as a business owner, what has it been like building Unpretentious Palette? It's challenged me in a lot of ways. You know, I I started Unpretentious Palette just because I felt like, yeah, I came from Charlotte Magazine, and I I had a way that I wanted the food coverage to be done, and there wasn't necessarily the budget for that because food coverage is so expensive like you're going out to eat so so much you're spending a lot of money at restaurants and and it's just hard for you know publications that don't have like a really massive budget to a lot for dining it's just like you know if you see that and you're in a corporate office you're like this person doesn't need like this much money to go out to eat but it's what's necessary i think to do food well so I was spending a lot of my own money to do it well. And I just was, you know, talking to my husband, John, he's also in media. And he's like, well, why don't you just, you know, like do it yourself? And I was like, what do you mean? And so we kind of talked about it. We talked about the business model. And at the time, The Athletic was really the only one doing that, the business model. And so we kind of just like talked it through and we're like, yeah, like, let's, why not? Like, let's do it. And it's been a challenge, like convincing, and, and as you know, like convincing people t- that they should pay for quality media, quality news is, is difficult. There's still a perception out there that news should be free. And it's something that I grapple with all the time. Like our newsletter is free and there's a ton of information in there that maybe like shouldn't be free because we spend so much time putting it together that it's not the best business decision. But and the journalist in me is like, you shouldn't only get quality news if you can afford it. So it, I go back and forth on that. But I, I do want there to be something for people who can't afford it. That said, like, most people can afford it that just read the free newsletter, but they they choose not to become paying members. And so, you know, it's just, it's a balance. And I think slowly we're convincing people and we're changing that narrative that like everything should be free because they see the difference in like what we're doing and how involved we are and kind of like the community we're creating. It does matter. And because I, you know, some sometimes the the comments of like, why should I pay for this? Like I can, you know, read this for free in other places or like, oh, you want me to pay, you know, the cost of a coffee a month to read, you know, whatever. And it just, it really gets to you after a while. But then having those, those conversations where like, no, what you do matters. And like, thank you for doing it really kind of helps put everything back into perspective because honestly, we couldn't do it without the paywall. Like there would be no way for us to be able to afford the content that we do without it. 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're basically what you're paying for is sort of an independent voice, right? Like, it's yeah. not like if you read something for free. It's, I mean, there's there is a cost to that. I mean, you're either being marketed to, mm -hmm. you know, and you read it quote unquote for free, or you pay for it and you get an independent, honest voice. And that's sort of right. that's kind of what you know. We're sort of kindred spirits in this, and that you're doing that on food, and we're doing it on you know business coverage and some other things. I mean, that's that's kind of the way I see it. It's just sort sort of interesting to me. I mean, media is kind of a weird industry and. Like you, there's no other industry in which you would expect to walk in and get something for free. Like you wouldn't walk into the grocery store and say, I need something for dinner and right. walk out with some, some pasta yeah. and, and, and be like, oh yeah, well, it, it's, it's free. There's an advert, they're advertising something on the, on the, you know, on the pasta or whatever. I mean, right. that, that wouldn't happen. And, and it's not like that in media because there's a different yeah. model and nothing against folks who, who see it differently or do it differently. But, you know, I think what you're offering is something you're saying, we can do this independently because our readers support us. Now, the other thing that you all do a lot of, you do a lot of events. Tell me a little bit about those and, and what those are like. Yeah, so we do a couple different event series. And it's funny, I never really thought like I would be an events person. But, you know, when you have this community of people, like it's so fun to get them together. And to me, you know, in, in terms of the business, we talked about like diversifying revenue is important, I think, for any business, but particularly media. Like, who knows? I feel like it's kind of discretionary spending the subscription so the events are are a good good way to do that so we do a couple different styles my favorite are the meet the chef dinners we do and to me they're the idea is like they're just live storytelling so we host for a year and we're gonna hopefully have those all planned in the next couple weeks but the idea is each course is a different point of that chef's life and they create a dish that reflects that period of their life so like childhood where they are in their present someone who inspired their culinary career and then there's like a live Q&A throughout the meal that kind of talks about the inspiration for each course. And it's fun because people kind of get to see the reporting process almost live. Those are super cool. And, and everybody has a great time. The chefs, you know, it's really cool learning their stories. And you know, we had one at Restaurant Constance recently. And I've interviewed Chef Sam Domenech so many times. And I can't tell you how many new things I learned from this dinner. So it's really cool. We're just kind of all sharing it together. We also do preview events, which are pretty fun. They are like a couple of days before a restaurant opens to the public, we'll, we'll have a members only dinner and you get to experience beforehand, hear from everybody who's opening the restaurant, the GM, the chefs, the owners, whoever, bartenders, and then kind of fill out a survey at the end to give them some feedback pre-opening. So it's kind of, it's like a value for both, like our members get to go in ahead of time and then also the restaurant gets this feedback. We just shot out such a nice town and for usual restaurants, like friends and family, everybody's like, this was so great. Thank you for having me. Everything was awesome, which is really, really kind and supportive, but also like not the most helpful if you're opening a restaurant and like looking for actual feedback. So that's kind of where our, our readers come in. So we do those uppies, obviously, that was a big party where we honor the best food and bev professionals in town. And then we do the Streets Festival as well in April. So that's kind of, that's part of Charlotte Shout, but Casey Wilson and Carbon Events. And I put that on in April. So yeah, it's like throughout the year, it's pretty crazy. And then we do a couple other like one-off dinners and they're fun. We usually do about one a month. And to us, it's just kind of another way of getting our members together and sharing the love of food. Well, great. That's a good spot to end it. How do people find out more about Unpretentious Palette? Uh, Unpretentiouspalette.com. If you want to kind of try us out, you can sign up for our free newsletter. Uh, it comes out Mondays and Thursdays and has like food recommendations, just kind of things that are out there, food news, and then our, our coverage links as well. Okay, that's a wrap. To our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.